Come on, kiddos. Well, I was worried there for a minute Mr. Matt was going to steal my thunder. So, it's been a little bit nippy and cool outside, hasn't it? Are you ready for spring? I am. But you know, the calendar says that last month we had, do you remember what it was? It's this animal that comes out sometimes. Groundhog Day. You're right. Well, he says... It's going to be six weeks before spring, so that means not this weekend, but next weekend's going to be spring, right? Nope. Sorry. The calendar says that spring begins this year on March 19th. Nope. No. You believe that? So that means when March 19th comes, there will be no more cold air. It will be beautiful every day. The sun will shine. We'll get spring rains, and the flowers will bloom. Yeah? You believe that? I don't. Do you believe that, Reese? No? Adeline? Mackenzie? You know, I think the calendar has stuff on there, but only God knows when it's going to be spring and when he's going to turn everything beautiful for us. And that's just like us. Did you know that God knows he's going to make you beautiful? He, you're already beautiful, aren't you? Yep. But only God knows that. Sometimes in our life we have our own groundhogs that tell us how things are going to turn out, but that's not right. Only God knows how things are going to turn out. And he intended for all of us to be beautiful in him. What do you think? It says that in the Bible. I printed it big so I didn't have to have my glasses. It's in Ecclesiastes. And I remember my grandmother Keller one time telling me this was one of her favorite verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heaven. And then if you skip to verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. So God tells us how to live and how beautiful he made us. Can we pray? Anybody want to pray? No, you do. Anybody? Anybody want to pray? Okay, I'll pray for us. Bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the seasons that tell us that things are different, that we're different because you made us beautiful, just like you made each season unto itself beautiful in your world. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Jensen here, or did she leave? Because they thought they were going to have to leave. So she's not here. Okay, we'll do that next week, so that's okay. 
Yeah, she uh, she said the Lord's Prayer for me this week, and uh, it's very wonderful. But uh, it is good to be here this morning. Uh, we're going to have uh, Glenn and Amy are going to come forward for our scripture reading and prayer. Please stand for the reading of God's Word and for our opening prayer. I don't know if y'all can hear me. Yeah. Is it on? Okay. Is that on? Can y'all hear? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to be reading from Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those who he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then one more, I don't think it was listed in the bulletin, but I'm going to read, I think I was out of Ephesians. Yes, okay. 4.30. Yes, Ephesians 4.30. Uh, let me find it here. Okay. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come together to say thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us for our family, our friends, and our good health. Please bless this church as we go forward. Help us always to remember the message on the cross every day, and that message was that you died a terrible death to forgive us of our sins and to make us holy, that we could be with you and see your face in heaven. And also help us to be still, sit down and be still, listen to the Holy Spirit, as he guides our life, and he guides our church. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be here this morning. I did want to uh, just give you a quick update. Uh, visit with Danny Adewine this week, and they actually had an upturn. Um, they've had some setbacks, and he's been to the emergency room a couple of times uh, over the last week. The platelets, uh, his platelet levels were down, and then he had uh, an enlarged spleen. Some of that is due, Danny's had a blood condition for years, uh, but then when you add the chemo and uh, the treatment for the cancer to that, it's created other problems. But the good news is when he got to come home, they got the platelet issue worked out, um, and he was feeling energy that he'd not felt in a while. He was feeling somewhat better, and so continue to pray for Danny and, and Karen. Uh, Jan's here, just still fighting the good fight, with broken ribs and all, and, and uh, they've had some family members that uh, uh, are dealing with some, well, death. Um, so... Uh, we, each and every one of us, we've got something going on in our life with our own personal life and our family, and we just need to be remembered that we should constantly be led to prayer. Uh, April Smith uh, went, had her exploratory. They thought they might be able to just do uh, surgery. I mentioned this, had the same esophageal cancer that Scott's had. 
determined that they're going to go ahead and do six weeks of radiation and uh, the chemo, and that's going to start on the 10th. So uh, just obviously have those folks in your prayer, and um, we do. We've got much to pray for. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer this morning. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is a, a continuation of our discipleship class number two, the second one. Uh, this, is a, this is part three of that. Uh, and so I'm going to be reading just quickly out of Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse 18, 18. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. They were fishermen. And, and he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. So I had mentioned this last week in relationship to this study on discipleship, that the very first thing that we learn about discipleship is that God chooses us. He chooses us. We don't choose him. You read it in Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 15 and 16. The scripture very clearly says, we don't choose him. He chooses us. I mentioned just as a, a, a quick recap that the way the Lord chooses, if you go to uh, 1 Samuel 16, God chooses. He judges on the basis of the heart, not on appearance. He chooses the way you and I don't. You go to 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, the end of that chapter, it says God chooses the foolish to overcome the wise, the weak to overcome the strong, the, the despised, the debased, the things that are not, so that no one would exalt himself. So as a disciple, as a Christian follower, a, a follower of Christ, God chooses. Now I'm going to do that whole sermon. He chooses us, uh, and he chooses the way uh, only he can choose, with insight and knowledge that you and I don't have. Uh, and, and then he makes us. I mentioned, I was really focused, the, the Greek word katipso. And I mentioned this in our class this morning. He makes, only God can make something from nothing. Only God can make something from nothing. You and I may make something, but it has to be from something that's already made. If you make a cake, you're, you're putting all the ingredients together. We cannot. That word means that God alone can make something from where there's nothing. If you're a Christian today, if God has saved you, and we talked in Romans chapter 5, we reflected on John, uh, the Apostle Paul's statement in the 5th chapter of Romans, that God, being rich in mercy, while we're still evil, we're wicked, we're far removed from God, but God, it, because of his great love and his mercy, he poured out his love into our heart, that he's judged, he's determined, through love, his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. And so God, He is the only one who can make something out of nothing. You and I can't. You see, the reality is, and you and, and me, scripturally, biblically, is that we have a body, obviously our flesh, we have a mind, we have an intellect, uh, we have a heart, we have an emotional state. You know, in fact, the scripture says that's when, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about our emotional being. And in Romans chapter 10, it says, with the heart, we believe. 
I mentioned last week that Solomon wrote in the Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart because the wellsprings of life flow from it. Again, God judges what's in our heart. God knows things in your heart and my heart that we don't know. We may think we do, but we don't. God can see a reason for compassion many times when you and I can't see it. We just don't see it. So that's how God works. But then what he does, he makes something. We have a soul. We have a body, flesh. We have a mind. We have a heart. But we have a soul. But that soul is a living, living soul. And it's very different. The Greek word is pneuma. And so what God does is he takes our soul that never dies and he deposits his Holy Spirit in us. And we read those great verses about the Holy Spirit last week. That the Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us, counsels us. There's a difference between man's morality and your... You know, a man may have some sense of right and wrong. We can write laws. Now, the Roman uh, historian uh, Herodias, what do you say? The more laws a country has, the more wicked they are. Think about that. God started out with 10 for us, expanded it to 622. I can't even imagine the number of laws that we have here as a country. But the more laws a country has, the more wicked they are. Why? Because we have to write laws. Because, hmm, like Paul said to the Romans, we're wicked. Not, not one of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 27. So, now having said that, so this God making, forming, making something in us where there's nothing, uh, something happens. Something happens. Um, you, you can, and I use this, you can make a cake from a recipe. Just, that's a simple thing, to illustration. But so now for you and I, it, because God has chosen you and I, and because God has given us his Holy Spirit, and then what is the recipe? How does he, as he gives us the Holy Spirit, something we don't have, we don't have it. It's his to give. He gives it to us because of his great love. Even while we were yet wicked, Well, there's three areas, three things, and this is the challenge, church. Uh, the passage, one of the passages that Amy just read, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 17, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord. Paul is speaking to Christians, people that have been chosen by God, people that have had the love of God and the Holy Spirit pouring in their hearts by the love of God. And so now he's speaking to them with the Lord. That you live, walk, no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Christians, God's people chosen by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, you, I, I'm, me and the Lord, we're talking to you. Don't live the way.
people live that live in futility of their mind. Have you seen futile minds? Can you, can you say, oh, that's a futile mind. That mind is not a very sharp mind. That mind is not a very intellectual mind. That mind is not, that mind is, a, there's a lot of chaos. Futility is the word he uses. You've probably seen one. Um, it's futile. Their thinking doesn't amount to anything. You don't know like that? Could you say, that person's thinking don't amount to nothing? <laughs> they thinking, but I know what they're thinking, and it ain't amounting to nothing. So that's what he's saying. Don't live that way. You've been chosen by God, filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. You ever seen anybody excluded from the life of God? There's nothing more, there's nothing. There's no, have you ever seen a rabid dog? Have you ever seen a dog with rabies? Now, I remember growing up in the 60s. You no, know, I don't think we have much of that going on anymore. Maybe we do. I don't know. But I remember in San Antonio, Texas, uh, they had a, a rabies outbreak. And I was probably in the third or fourth grade, but I remember. I remember it was on the news. I remember, you know. And uh, I got to think. And, and when you look at this, it's because... What do you say about darkening in their state, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the darkness of their heart? And, and I, I, for me personally, you've ever witnessed an individual, or in this case, this rabbit, the, the rabies has infected the thinking. That animal can't, it's wild, it's out of control, it, it's tortured. And, when you, and I'm telling you, when you look at an individual, and certainly we can't judge the way God can judge. But Paul would write very clearly in the Galatians about the deeds of the flesh and the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. You'll know them by the love they have for one another. And you could go on and on and on. John writes that. But the spirit of Christ in someone is evident. But the absence of the spirit of Christ is also evident. Evident. And it's the saddest of all things to see. I don't believe there's anything sadder uh, that you and I can witness as we can observe, not judging. It's not, I'm not saying, well, you don't have God. But there is a very clear, oh my, that person, God bless him, God bless her. Not saying that lightly. There's something. But it's not God. And it's hard, and that's what he says. He, Paul says it. They're excluded from the life of God. Verse 19, and then they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I don't know if you know this, but if you look into the New Testament, all of the New Testament books have what they call a vice list. So it's such, you know, don't behave like this. Such as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And there's always a list. Anybody a list maker here? If you look at those lists, you know which two sins that are always associated with one another? They're connected. They're married. Is sexual immorality and greed. Now, when you think of greed, you may think of money. But the Bible, spiritually, connects greed and sexual immorality. Adultery. Genesis chapter 1. God had a plan for us to live intimately and sexually. He did. 
And in fact, Paul would write the New Testament church, husbands and wives, don't deprive yourselves from one another. We give Satan a foothold. That's the passage where we give Satan a foothold. The difference between, the difference in marriage, the only difference is the sexual relationship. You can have a best friend, but they, you want to be intimately involved with them. It says in Genesis chapter 1, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And whatever God has brought together, let no man bring asunder. And you, now, what, I'm connecting a dot here, spiritually. You know what adultery is? It's greed. It's greed. God has chosen this person for me. He's brought me to this person. The church is referred to as a marriage. God's people read about it in Ephesians. We're called the bride of Christ. A marriage, a husband and wife together, is supposed to be a representation of God's people in the church. Sexual immorality is greed. I can't get enough. I have to have more. I need to stroke my ego. I need to... It's more, more, more. And then Satan provides all the disgraceful reasons to behave like that. So, and they had become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, church, but you did not learn Christ that way. We're talking about discipleship. That statement ought to challenge you. How have you learned Christ? The scripture says examine yourself. Be ready in and out of season to give an answer for what you believe. What do you believe? That we should believe the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I... Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and crucified. Have you learned a religion? Have you learned a relationship? Have you learned about Christ? Because he was God's only soul, one answer, loving, sacrificial, unconditionally loving answer to all the men and women who have ever been born with a soul, without the spirit of Christ, in the flesh, sinning willfully. He was the answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was crucified, dead and buried. He became sin. How did you learn Christ? Have you even learned him? Have you even looked at it explicitly and saying, you know what, I was that person. I used to live that way. I was darkened in my understanding. I was excluded from the life of God. I was, there was ignorance in me. But my heart was dark and hard. I gave myself over to everything. There was greedy and immoral. Now he's talking to Christians, church. He's not talking to people outside the church. He said, you didn't learn Christ that way. You didn't learn it that way. You didn't learn him that way. If indeed you have heard all, and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Discipleship is today about learning as a follower, and learning what? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. 
Jesus' truth. The Holy Spirit, those passages we read last week, they guide us in truth. There's only one truth, and it's God's truth based upon the Holy Spirit. It's not your truth, and it's not my truth. I mentioned the morality of man. Men can make moral, you know. And, and the writer Isaiah would say that men's righteousness, men's way of doing, men's righteousness is like a filthy rag unto God. There is a, the, the writer of the, the Psalms, the they had, there is a way that seems right to man. Oh, there's a way that seems right to man. But it's foolishness to God. So how have you learned what's right or wrong on the basis of what you think is right or wrong? Or on the basis of the righteousness of God that is found through Jesus Christ? But then he talks about putting on the new self. Verse 24. Verse 23 is being renewed in the spirit. Spirit, truth. Verse 24, put on the new self in the likeness of God. Is it been created in righteousness and, and holiness of the truth, all this. But we go back down, we'll grieve down there to verse 30 again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were, hmm, were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, so God chooses us. He deposits his Holy Spirit into us on the basis of love. He's seen something in your heart that is worthy of redemption. He's made a judgment just like he would the criminal on the cross. Nobody else could see anything in that criminal that would be worthy of salvation, but he did. He did. He saw a shepherd boy, that first Samuel 16, that could be king of Israel, defeat a Goliath. And he's seen the same thing in you. And he has departed his whole. But here's the problem. We grieve the Holy Spirit. The readiness, we talk about the readiness of God and the readiness of the Spirit. Do you know what the, the Bible talks about the readiness of Satan? And it, and it falls into several categories. First of all, he's ready to deceive you. The primary thing that Satan is ready to do is to deceive you. started in the garden with Eve had one, one commandment, don't, don't take the fruit from this tree of life. It said, but she saw it and she desired it. And so Satan was ready to do what? Did God really say? And she goes, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did say, <laughs> yeah. So Satan is always ready. You go to the Gospel of John, it says that Satan's native tongue is always lying. It's to say he's the father of all deception. So he's always ready to deceive you. And he'll do it through a preacher. Or preachers. He will. Satan, read it in Matthew chapter 4. I can tell you what, Satan knows the word of God. Oh, he knows the word of God. Is he trying to tempt Jesus? He's quoting scripture. James would write about faith. Even the demons believe. But he's ready to deceive. And as he deceives, he deceives. We grieve the Holy Spirit. When you love the lie, Paul writes to Thessalonians, you can look at every division in every church, every problem in every church. You can look at every failure of every Christian marriage. You can look at every failure of a daily Christian life in our life. Paul said very clearly, he said, they so love the lie 
Talk about God's people. They so love the lie that God gave them a powerful delusion. I have witnessed powerfully deluded believers. And it's always because of one thing. They have grieved the Holy Spirit on the basis of they have loved a lie. Usually the lie that we will love or the lies that we will love is based upon the deeds of the flesh. Go to Galatians. Uh, again, pride. Pride is the most self-loving lie that we all. Every time we raise ourselves up and we get bristled up and I say, well, I'll tell you, or every time we make a judgment of someone, every time that we put ourselves in a position where we elevate ourselves and we demean someone else, we are, we are grieving the Holy Spirit because we love that lie. You don't even have to involve Satan. But the scripture says, as we grieve that Holy Spirit, we love that lie, God will give you a powerful delusion. Wow. We've talked about some heady stuff. So Satan is ready to deceive you so that you will grieve the Holy Spirit and that you will live in the pride of your pride. There's no humility in pride. Humility and pride are far removed. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven. You can look at every, every, every moment of your life, every verb that comes out of your mouth, every adjective that comes out of your mouth, every verb and adjective and noun that comes out of your heart, every thought that's connected. Uh, and if it, has, if it has bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, it's grieving the Holy Spirit. But what about kindness to one another? To, to sinners. Not, not just kind to the people you love or your friends and the people you like. You could never grieve the Holy Spirit being kind to someone who has hurt you. You could never grieve the Holy Spirit by being kind to someone who has slandered you, cheated you. Paul wrote the Corinthians, isn't it better, isn't it better isn't it better to be defrauded? No, of course not. It was for Christ. And if you and I are disciples and followers, it should be for you. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Is there somebody in your life right now, church, that you're not tenderhearted towards? Tenderhearted. Now, if you don't know what that means, it, he, there's a, an, an ascending value here. Kind to one another. That's pretty good. Tenderhearted. That's a little more. Ooh, forgiving. Forgiving. If you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. But it starts, here's the making. Kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. And if you're not sure what that looks like, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, very quickly, all that has been said for this. Here's how God makes a disciple. Make something where there's nothing through the Holy Spirit. 
there's, there's the evidence of what it doesn't look like and what it does look like. And we can grieve that Holy Spirit. He gives us the answer to that. But church, here's step number one. This is easy. She just read it in the passage, Mark chapter 3, verse... Uh, it was Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 13, 4. It says, He took the twelve. They were with him. Let's go to Mark 3. Now, I, I'm just going to let the Scripture ask you the question. i just let the Scripture ask you the question. Verse 13, chapter 3 of Mark. And Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Did you ever stop to think this morning as you were getting ready to come to church in all of something, you know, whatever you're dealing with in life, uh, that you were, you, you were somebody that God wanted? You know what, I, I love, I was, I'll quote that passage, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord to worship. Because if there's any evidence of what's taking place here this morning, you and I are the people that God wanted. You might be happy that your employment, employer wants you. Well, that'd be good. But you just need to think about this, church. You and I are the people that God wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed 12. Now listen to this, church. This is one of the most significant verses in all the Bible. That they might be with him. I want to ask you a question that I ask myself daily. Are you with Christ? You're with somebody. Grace, you're with somebody. Madeline, you're with somebody. Y'all can say grace and get to two because there's two graces. You're with somebody. Well, I'm with that person. And you pretty much know who so-and-so's with. Well, they're with so-and-so. Church is with. So you say, okay, I know I'm with him. I know that. I love that great play of the book of Acts. The apostles, Jesus being crucified, dead, and buried. And he's ascended into heaven. And, and Peter and uh, James are preaching on the dead. Well, the same Sanhedrin council that had arrested Jesus and falsely accused him, now they're bringing in the apostles after the day of Pentecost. And you know what they said about him? They said, these men, we knew, these men had been with Jesus. You ought to be so close to Jesus that somebody can tell. Man, they were Jesus. They, they were Jesus. Are we all with somebody? But when people leave, you say, who's he with? Who's she with? Who's that married couple with? And so you can't, and you, with the way he makes us, by choosing us, depositing that Holy Spirit in us, the way he made, he brings us with him. We're with him and he is with us. You cannot you cannot be made, uh, you will grieve the Holy Spirit unless you're with him. And I mean with him. I mean really with him. 
Have you ever been so you ever loved somebody so much you just want to be with them? You just I need to be with them. You know, we do it anyway. But have you ever been what are you are you that way with the Lord? Is it just a part time relationship? Are you with him sometimes and you're not with him other times? I don't know. You know, you should know. Are you with him? Are you with him? That's the, that's the you're with him. Now, I'm going to have a handout for you next week because I'm going to finish here. But it says, so uh, I will tell you what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moves us to be with him and to pray to and through him and to worship him. That's it. That's all. Have you ever wondered what God was trying to do in your life to grow you spiritually so that you and I wouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit? There's only, there's three beliefs. There's three truths. There's three Holy Spirit truths. Number one, he moves us to be with him. Number two, he moves us to pray to and through him. So, this is, I'm going to finish here because this will be introduction to next week. How many of you have had a New Year's resolution where you say, okay, I want to go on a diet and it lasts for a little while? Or how many of you have had a New Year's resolution and you say, okay, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to study more. And you do for a little while. Do you know there's a great biblical truth? If you really want to attend church more, pray more, grow spiritually, you say, well, read the Bible. Nope. Something has to precede that. And the Bible's very clear about it. This has to happen first. You have to, in my, I just need to be with the Lord. I need to be with the Lord. I need to be with the Lord. And, and then the second one is prayer. Now, only, we're going to just let the scripture verify that for us next week. That's all we're going to talk about. So many times, you know, and I'll give an example. The word means, and we talked about it in class this morning, to meditate spiritually. So you might think, you think well, I need to lose weight. I don't like the way I look in a mirror. Okay, I need to lose weight. Well, you've had the thought, but did you meditate on it? For instance, did you take it to another level? Did you meditate on it? See, we say praying is talking to God. No, it's not. It is, but it's not. Genuine prayer is spiritual meditation. My thinking is so completely overwhelmed. I'm not just talking to God. I'm thinking in terms of everything in my life associated with God. I'm meditating spiritually. You can only do it with the Spirit of Christ in you. So now you say, okay, I'm going to meditate on losing weight. It's not a goal so that I can look good in my swimsuit or become more attractive. It's because maybe I'll get adult onset diabetes. Maybe my, I have my blood pressure go up and congestive heart. Maybe I'm going to be tired all the time. Maybe I don't want to do these things. And I, so dieting isn't just about losing some weight because I'd like to because then it's never going to last. But if you start to meditate on it, and this is just one illustration. Now take that, and we'll do this next week. We'll talk about, wow, it will change your prayer life. And when your prayer life changes, it won't be a burden. It won't be something, it won't be a goal. It'll be a lifestyle. It'll be a reality. And then, 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 church attendance, you don't even have to struggle with it. 
Worship, you don't have to struggle with it. Studying God's Word, you don't have to struggle with it. You pray first from a heart that wants to be with Him. And let me tell you something, brother, sister, the, pray, the reading Scripture is no longer a burden. There's no guilt associated. There's no burden. There's no other. And going to church is not a burden. Oh, man, it becomes so much more. And I can prove it. For those of you who have ever gone through this, as your prayer life, your spiritual meditation increases, oh, man, I want to read God's Word. I want to go to church. I want to worship. So, next week, the Holy Spirit moves us to be with Him, to pray to and through Him, and to worship Him. That's it. That's all. There's nothing God does. That's all that God wants from you as He makes you a disciple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We love you so dearly. And Father, as we, re as we move through the, the study and uh, contemplating your words, your teaching, your instruction, Father, I pray that you increase in each and every one of us a desire just to be with you. Just to be with you. With you, Father. With you. Just to be with you. And Father, we know as we are with you, hmm, our heart changes, our language changes, our courage changes, our mind changes. And so, Father, we pray to you, the, the giver of all good things, the equipper, the maker. We just pray to you to continue in us, Father, to help us not to grieve you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.